This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me this evening to Mark chapter number 14. We come back to the gospel according to Mark, and we've been walking through with Mark as he is navigating us through the life and ministry of our Lord. We come this evening to the closing verses of Mark chapter 14, we come to verse number 66, and we'll read through uh, verse 72. The Bible said, and as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Here we have the record of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for our title this evening, I want us to look at this title, The Danger of Self-Sufficiency. The Danger of Self-Sufficiency. We're going to note in this passage four things. We'll note, first of all, Peter's confidence. Remember, it was Peter who said to the Lord, when the Lord said the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. It was Peter who said, Lord, I will not deny you. Though all men deny you, I will not deny you. We're going to look at his confidence. Then we're going to look at his cowardice. Uh, we see that record here in these verses, his denial of the Lord. Then we're going to note his contrition, Peter's contrition, his sorrow, and his repentance. And then lastly, we're going to look at uh, Peter's conversion. As we note uh, this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that Peter's failure serves us as a sobering reminder of the weakness of the flesh 
and the grievous consequences of sin in spite of our best intentions. On the other hand, it is also an encouragement to us concerning the forgiveness of God. Though Peter's iniquity was grievous and it was blatant, it did not take him beyond the reaches of divine mercy, grace, and restoration. The account of Peter's denials highlights his foolish confidence, his failing cowardice, and his fervent contrition. Uh, we find in this story a great help to us and a great encouragement to us and a great warning to us at the same time. All of us are like Peter. We are made of the same thing that he uh, is made of. We have the flesh. Uh, no doubt Peter was a passionate follower of the Lord Jesus. He was a passionate disciple. Peter made the bold confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Twice Peter made this bold confession, and the Lord said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Peter's confession is an important confession, it is an essential confession that we must make, and upon that confession we find that the church is established. But at the same time, Peter then rebuked the Lord for saying that he was going to the cross. And though he was a passionate follower of the Lord Jesus, he certainly was one who was prone to slip up, prone to say things he shouldn't say, prone to act in ways that he should not have acted. Can you relate to Peter? I certainly can. I think Paul could relate to Peter. When Paul in, Acts, in Romans rather chapter number 7 detailed the struggles of the Christian life, he said, the things that I know to do, the things that I want to do, the things that are right for me to do, I have a hard time doing them. I'm obviously paraphrasing him. In fact, not only am I having a hard time doing them, I'm not getting them done. And then he said, the things that I know I shouldn't do, well, I find myself doing them. And then in his desperation, he offers this, Prayer to God, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, Paul was aware that he, though his soul was redeemed, he lived in a body of death. And you and I, along with the Apostle Paul and Peter, uh, we live in this body of death. And Peter is a reminder for us that we need to consider that fact every day that we live in a body of death, that we live in a body of flesh. And the Bible says that the flesh is enmity against God. Our flesh, who we are in our natural condition, has declared war against God. We are living in a body and in a world that is at war with God. And though the Spirit of God now dwells within us and has redeemed our soul, our body is not redeemed, but one day we will be delivered from this body of death. We'll receive a new glorified body, and we will no longer deal with sin in our lives. But until that moment, we have a battle that we face on a daily basis. 
I used to have these naive thoughts as a young person that if I uh, loved the Lord enough, read enough scripture, prayed enough, I would one day arrive in a, in a spiritual uh, land where I would never struggle again. I have learned that I'm never going to get there until I get to heaven. It was Spurgeon who said that the struggle should not bother us. It would be the absence of the struggle that would bother us. In other words, if you're struggling with the flesh, you're struggling with the world, you're struggling with the devil, that is uh, a, a, a very important indicator that you belong to God, that your soul has been redeemed, that you desire to do right, but you know there's a struggle going on. But if there is no struggle going on in your life, that's, that's a, a warning that perhaps you do not know the Lord is your Savior. Because all of us who will seek to do right will struggle. Those who don't seem to have any struggles have no struggles because they have not been born again and do not have the desire to please God. And so it should not be the presence of the struggle that bothers you. It should be the absence of the struggle perhaps that would bother you. And in the presence of the struggle, we learn to look to Christ for victory. And Peter is going to serve as a great example of that for us this evening. I want you to note these things with me. The first of all is Peter's confidence. Peter's confidence. Notice again in verse number 27 of this chapter, Chapter number 14, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Now here we see Peter's confidence. He is confident not in the Lord, however. He is confident in his self. He has misplaced confidence. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and warned them of this very danger in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The Lord said to his disciples, the sheep will be scattered. You are going to forsake me. Peter said, oh, wait a minute. These guys, maybe. Me, no. And so we see his confidence. He was confident in his commitment to Christ. He could see no circumstance in which he would deny the Lord. His spirit was willing, but he failed to understand that his flesh was weak. And so he acted, he responded in the energy and in the power of his flesh. And that which is carried out by the power of the flesh never produces spiritual results. Abraham teaches us that, doesn't he? When he went into Hagar and bore Ishmael, the flesh does not produce the fruit of the spirit. But Paul wrote in Philippians chapter three and verse three, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The psalmist wrote, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. 
The Proverbs says in Proverbs 25 and verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. We do not want to misplace our confidence. We do not want to put our confidence in man, and that includes in our own selves. And this is exactly what Peter did. The Apostle Paul also said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Now that is something we're often tempted to do. To, to think that we have arrived, to think that we are somebody, to think that we are important to God or important to his church, that we are God's gift to his church. It, it doesn't take much for us to fall into that snare. To think that our opinion is really significant. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And the Apostle Paul said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. He understood that he was not to elevate himself. He was not to depend upon himself, his degrees, his credentials. And by the way, Paul had a lot of degrees and credentials. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was an educated man. He was a man who was at the zenith of the Jews' religion. He said, our sufficiency is not of ourselves. He finishes in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, but our sufficiency is of God. The apostle Paul recognized something that Peter had not yet come to realize, but he will come to realize it. That our sufficiency, what holds us together, is God. So we see Peter's confidence. Now what led to this? And what indicates that he was placing his confidence in himself? Well, we note some things here. First of all, we see that Peter spoke boastfully. He spoke boastfully. Notice again in verse number 29, But Peter said unto him, Although all should be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Kent Hughes in his commentary on this portion of scripture said, no disciple speaks as often as Peter. No disciple was reproved like Peter was. And he's the only disciple who thought he could reprove the Lord. He was a confident individual, and he spoke boastfully. Not only did Peter speak boastfully, but we see that Peter listened sparingly. He listened sparingly. By the way, isn't that always what accompanies those who like to speak? We have a problem hearing and listening. You say, how do you know so much about that, Pastor? Because I have the problem. Notice in Luke chapter 22, if you'll turn there with me, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31, we have the same event taking place. The Lord speaking uh, to Peter about this impending betrayal or denial rather. <coughs> and in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. By the way, he desires to have you. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, he wants to sift you. He wants to break you down. He wants to tear you up and leave you laying on the ground, shattered and in pieces. That's what the devil specializes in doing. Notice in verse 32, the Lord said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. What a comforting statement. By the way, not only does Satan desire to sift you, but the Lord is praying for you. What an assurance, what a, what a comfort, what a source of strength it is to know that our God is praying for us. He is our high priest. He's passed into the heavens where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Oftentimes people send me messages and I'm always grateful that they do and they say, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I'm grateful for the opportunity to pray for you. I'm grateful that you have confidence that I would pray for you. But I want you to know you can always get a hold of the one who is constantly praying for you, and that is the Lord Jesus, our high priest. And so he says, I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. Notice what he goes on to say. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord... I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now here the Lord speaks to Peter concerning the seriousness of the moment, the danger that was imminent. Satan desires to sift you. But I've prayed for you. And that statement is lost on Peter. Why? Because he's not listening. He's wrapped up in himself. He's heard the Lord say, you're going to deny me. And so he's not willing to listen. All he wants to do is speak and defend himself and elevate himself. Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. He listened sparingly. It's a great gift when we learn to listen, isn't it? Here's another reason he had misplaced confidence. He prayed sluggishly. He prayed sluggishly. Notice in verse number 37, the Lord has now taken uh, Peter and James and John into the garden. He's asked them to pray with him. He is praying in these anxious moments, in the angst and the burden of going to the cross and uh, bearing our sin. And in verse number 37, the Bible said, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, the one who had just said, Lord, I will not deny you. I'm ready to go with you to prison. He's now proven he cannot make it through a prayer meeting. And so the Lord saith unto him, Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. You see, had we just been told that Satan was after us and desiring to sift us, could we not be awake and alert to make it through a prayer meeting with Jesus? This is where we get hard on Peter. 
and we forget who we are. Because the truth of the matter is, we have been told to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And yet we get so sluggish and so inattentive in our Christian lives. Notice what he says in verse number 39. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wished they what to answer him. They could not stay awake, and they didn't know what to say. Verse 41, and he cometh the third time. And saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest, it is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Here is Peter, moments before, hours before perhaps, the denial, and he has an opportunity to enter into prayer with the Lord Jesus, and he's too sleepy to do it. It describes our spiritual condition in this hour, does it not? It describes the struggle of our flesh. And so we see that Peter spoke boastfully. He listened sparingly. He prayed sluggishly. And then he acted rashly or hastily. Notice in verse 47, And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And John tells us in the gospel, according to John, that this was Peter. When they arrested the Lord Jesus... When they came to bind him, Peter, in the hasty actions of his flesh, in his rash decision-making, without consideration for his actions, takes his sword and draws it, and in an attempt to maybe take off the head of the servant, he cuts his ear off. He misses. It's a good thing he missed. Because had he taken the life of this man he would have faced the sentence of death himself. The Lord said, he that lives by the sword shall die by the sword. You see, he acted rashly. He acted hastily in his temperament, in his demand for action. He acted in the power and energy of his flesh, and it was almost a devastating moment for him. And then we see lastly that he followed distantly. Verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and Peter followed him afar off. Even into the palace of the high priest and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. He followed distantly. You see, we can always know that we're heading for trouble when we're following Jesus from afar. We don't want to get too close, so we back off. We don't want to lose sight of him, but we don't want to be too close to him. We don't want to get too carried away in our discipleship. We don't, we don't want to be too readily identified with the Lord. We like the comfort of being able to blend in with the world. That is not true discipleship. And all of those things will lead us to a place of misplaced confidence where we think, I got this. I've been in church all my life. I think I'll make it. Maybe those other people will blow it, but I 
won't. Secondly, we see Peter's cowardice. And it is this misplaced confidence that leads and produces this cowardice. It is only when we depend upon the Lord and recognize our weakness that we receive his strength and his courage. But when we stand in our own strength, as Samson did, and he wist not that the presence of the Lord had departed from him or that the power of the Lord had departed from him, he became a weak man, just as weak as any man that had ever lived in those moments. And when we follow Jesus from afar, when we think we have arrived, when we do not see any opportunity or capacity in ourselves to fall or to falter, it will lead us in the critical moments to cowardice. Amen. And this is where Peter is. Three times he denies the Lord. The first denial is recorded for us in verses 66 and 67. Peter was beneath in the palace. The Lord now is in the house of Caiaphas and there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. Oh, no, no, you got the story wrong. It's not me. Then we read of the second denial in verse number 68, 69, and 70. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew and a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. Verse 70, and he denied it again. A young lady sees him. She recognizes him. She says, you're one of them. You're one of his disciples. Now remember the Bible said they all forsook him and fled. But Peter is at least there, but he denies it. The third time, in verse number 70, and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. For thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. We hear your accent. We hear the way you say things. We, we hear the language that you're using. And there is no doubt that you are who we thought you were. You are one of his disciples. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. He began to say with an oath, I don't know who he is. And just to lend credence to the fact that he did not know who Jesus was, he spoke in a way that he should not have ever spoken. He spoke with rough, harsh, coarse, vulgar language. By the way, our language is important, is it not? It says something about who we are and who we belong to. Don't be loose with your language. We see his cowardice. We see a third thing, and that is his contrition. Verse 72. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him. I believe it's Luke who tells us that in that very moment, the Lord Jesus, who was exiting out of the house onto the porch, met the eyes of Peter as the cock crew. And so he acknowledges here as the cock, is, as the cock crows twice, he says, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. 
You see, what did Peter weep about? Well, he wept about the denial. He denied the Lord in the hour of crisis. And he denied the Lord after openly professing that he would never deny him. You see, it's when the cock crows, it's when our chickens come home to roost that we realize who we are. And who are we? We're sinners. Totally incapable of pleasing God. Incapable of keeping his commands. Incapable of obedience to his will. And if we care at all, if any love of Christ resides in our hearts, if there is any desire to please him springing forth from us, then we will with Peter weep when the cock crows, when the voice of conviction and the voice of confrontation comes to us and we recognize who we are, that we're sinners and that we cannot in our own strength and our own sufficiency please God and keep his commands. When that happens, there will be contrition. There will be weeping. There will be sorrow. There will be repentance. Now remember what the Lord said to Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith, what? Fail not. And when thou art converted, when you are turned again, strengthen thy brethren. You see what is happening here? Peter now, after his failure, after he has realized that he is insufficient, recognizing his sin, is now repenting. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verses 10 and 11, and he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. He says, there are two forms of sorrow that men will repent over. One is genuine repentance, the other is not genuine. The genuine repentance is produced by a godly sorrow. It is when you and I recognize that our sin is an offense to God, that our sin is an affront to God, that we with our sin have hurt the one we love, the Lord Jesus. That's godly sorrow, and it worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. It works for our deliverance. And it is a deliverance, it is a work in our hearts, a repentance in our hearts that is an abiding repentance. But the sorrow of this world worketh death. In other words, the sorrow of getting caught, trying to get out of the circumstances of our sin and the chastisement which may follow, oftentimes only works death. Peter goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 11, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye, speaking to these Corinthian believers, ye sorrowed after a godly sorrow or a godly sort. He confronted them with their sin and they were repentant of their sin. They acknowledged that they had offended God, that they had damaged the testimony of Christ and they were sorrowful for that. They recognize their failure and their wickedness. And he says to them, what carefulness it wrought in you. 
In other words, they began to pay attention to the way they were living their life. They began to pay attention to their attitudes and their actions. They begin to examine their lives in light of the Scripture. They could not go on carelessly doing anything they wanted to do. Following all the whims of Corinth and the culture. No, it changed them. It, it caused them to observe their course. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Do you know what it did? It caused them to examine themselves and see perhaps not just one sin or a few sins, but to examine their soul and rid themselves and purify their hearts of all of the iniquity in their lives. Amen. What clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. You know, we've laughed at sin so long. We've entertained sin so long. It's not offensive to us. Our own sin is coddled and cuddled and protected. We need to get angry at our sin. Angry at the thought that our sin offends our God. Angry at the potential that our sin has to destroy not only our life, but the lives of others around us. What indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all these things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Do you know what they did? They got right with God. Do you know what we need to do? Do you know what I need to do? Do you know what you need to do? We need to get right with God. Amen. Peter's contrition. When you hear the cock crow, you need to get to Jesus. We see lastly, Peter's conversion. I like what Adrian Rogers had to say about this passage of Scripture. He titled it, Failure Isn't Final. Aren't you glad to know that? Now, the devil, he majors in finality. He wants to bring you to an end. Remember what the Lord said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith, what church? Fail not. You see, Satan wanted to sift him and wanted to finish his faith. But the Lord said, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Failure is not final. Did Peter fail in this moment? Yes, he failed. But this failure was not final. You remember after the Lord's resurrection, and of course we'll, we'll cover this in just a few weeks, but in Mark chapter 16... When Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary, rather, the mother of James and Salome, when they come, when they come to uh, the grave to anoint the body, they find the stone is rolled away. They were concerned about who would roll it away. They found it rolled away. The Bible says in, in Mark 16 and verse 4, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. They were afraid. You and I would have been afraid too, right? 
And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, verse 7. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. He specifically mentions Peter. Go, tell the disciples and Peter. Can you imagine the anguish of Peter's soul after the death of the Lord Jesus upon the cross? Watching the one that he denied suffer, bleed, and die. Knowing that he'd been buried now in the tomb. Can you imagine the anguish of his soul? The heavy burden that he carried? I imagine he didn't want to be around people. He didn't want to be seen by anyone. The devil was having a field day in his mind. As he has an hour so often. Trying to discourage him. Trying to say to him. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. Look at what you've done to him. He says the same things to us. Does he not? You've blown it time and time again. You lose your temper. You say things you shouldn't. You can't follow through with your commitments. You don't follow through with your commitments. You fall into temptation in the snare of the devil. You try to read your Bible and it seems like you can't get through the first week. You try to establish a prayer life and like Peter, you fall asleep. You get sluggish. And the devil sits beside you and he says, wait a minute, man. There's something wrong here. This thing just isn't working out for you. It might be working out for others, but it's not going to work out for you. And by the way, why do you even try to go to church? You know you're a hypocrite. Does he talk to you that way? He talks to me that way. And I'm the pastor. Why would you even bother to preach to them? I know who you are. And you do too, he says. And sometimes I listen. And sometimes you listen. But the Lord has a message for Peter. And he has a message for us. He's not angry at Peter. He's not mad at Peter. He's not writing Peter off. And he hasn't written you off. You say, well, I lost my temper and I said something I shouldn't have said. We'll repent of it. But don't get out of church. Don't get discouraged and think God doesn't love you. Well, I haven't been able to read my Bible like I should. Or I haven't witnessed like I should. Join the club, friends. You see, we are in a struggle. We are in a spiritual battle. We are fighting a real foe. And guess what? We are not strong enough. We are not capable enough to live in that victory. I can't win the victory. Jesus won it for me. You see, I'm weak. He is strong. And he cares for me. And so he is pursuing Peter here. In his weakness. In his failure. What is the Lord doing? He said, I have a message for Peter. Jesus has arisen from the dead. Make sure you tell him that. This thing isn't finished. Now we read that Peter, at some point, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, is still discouraged. And he said this, he said, I go a fishing. The implication is, I'm going back to the fishing business, fellas. 
This preaching thing didn't work out for me. This church thing didn't work out for me. I just can't make it. I'm not strong enough. I go fishing. Well, guess who went after him? The Lord did. He showed up at the sea. Peter, how's the fishing going today? Not too good. By the way, it won't ever go good without him. No pursuit in your life and mine that is in disobedience to him will ever flourish. It is only when we follow him, it is only when we obey him that we will see his blessings. And so Peter said, I go a fishing. In John chapter 21, the Lord comes to Peter. In verse number 15, if you'll turn there with me, John chapter 21 and verse number 15. Peter catches a great catch. It's the second time that's happened. At least this is the second time we know of. Once when Peter forsook his nets and followed Christ, and now at this point, having said, I go a-fishing, not catching anything at the word of Jesus, he lets down his net, he catches many fish, brings those fish to land, and they have a meal together. In verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? The these are the fish and the finances. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. The Lord Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to affirm his love for him. How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. How many times did the Lord find Peter asleep during the prayer meeting in Gethsemane? Three times. And here, three times, the Lord gives Peter the opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful picture of God's grace? Did Peter deserve that opportunity? Perhaps not. But because the Lord loved him, he gave him that opportunity. And do we deserve that opportunity to be restored and be forgiven? No. But the Lord loves us. And he pursues us. And he will not forsake us. And he will not give up on us. He will not deny himself. And he will not deny his children. And so Paul, having learned this truth, In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 9 writes these words when he had that thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that thorn is, but we know he had a thorn in the flesh. And you and I have thorns that we deal with. Temptations and snares, maladies, emotional struggles, circumstances that are unique to us that plague us, that make it difficult. And we think in our mind, oh, that I could get rid of that, then I could really do something for God. That's what Paul thought. And how many times did he pray? 
for God to remove it? Three. And he said unto me, Paul said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it is only when you and I acknowledge our weakness that we can live in full dependence and in full experience of his power and strength. Vance Havner said, the Lord had the the strength and I had the weakness, so we teamed up. (laughs) It was an unbeatable combination. And we think that our weakness is the thing that keeps us from him. No, it's the thing that keeps us close to him. And it is the thing that enables his power in us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This treasure, this life of Christ, this inheritance in him, this righteousness that has been imputed to our account, this joy of communion and fellowship, this ability and privilege to serve him, it dwells and resides within clay jars. Dirty clay jars. That's where the treasure is. It's in you and I. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The great miracle is not found in us and our strength and our ingenuity. It is found in the fact that God in his love loves us in spite of our failure, in spite of our sin, in spite of our struggles. He loves us with an everlasting love. He dwells within us and he will use us in spite of those weaknesses. In fact, he specializes in using those weaknesses to highlight his power through us. So may God help us not to fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. And by the way, there's an opposite trap. It's the trap that says, wait a minute, I can't do anything, so I might as well give up. I was involved in a discussion recently, and someone was honestly saying to me, I have a lot of struggles. I want you to know I'm I'm not the Christian I ought to be. (laughs) You know what I said? I'm right there with you. And people have this idea, this notion, that if they go to church, then they have to live a perfect life to somehow earn favor with God, to keep in good status with God. And if they mess up, that somehow God is up in the heavens and he's mad at them. No, that's not our God. He's a God of love. I have five children and I am an imperfect father. And there are moments when my children may not please me. And there are moments when I may be 
quite frankly aggravated by their actions. But there has never been a moment when I sought to disown them. There was never a moment in any of those agitations or any of those frustrations or in some of those moments when there wasn't a lot of words spoken, there wasn't a lot of hugs given. I want you to know that in my heart, there, were always, there was always the yearning to make that right. And in our Father's heart, there is always the yearning to make that right. And it can be right if you'll come to him. If you'll confess your sin, if you will look to him, he will love you, he will receive you, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you, and he will, as he did in the life of Peter, convert you, turn you again. And he said, and when thou art converted, do what? Strengthen thy brethren. Peter's experience and what he went through was something that would be a springboard into his apostolic ministry. He would preach in the streets of Jerusalem and 5,000 would come to know the Lord. He would write 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Those epistles that were designed to strengthen the brethren. The epistles that we read today. God used him in a mighty way. And God can use you. If you have failed, you can find grace and mercy at the feet of Jesus. Just come to him. Amen. And if you are slipping away and if you are faltering, do not draw away from him. Draw close to him and express to him who you are and how weak you are. And what you will find is his grace and power will fill you and will hold you up. And you can do exploits. Not in your own strength, but in His. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.